Are you a principal or deputy principal looking for an engaging and affordable session on teacher and school staff wellbeing for your next student free day or twilight session? Perhaps you're on the wellbeing committee or you are the wellbeing champion in your school and you're looking for resources to support your proposal to your leadership team for the staff wellbeing session that you have been tasked with organising. And perhaps you're in a regional, rural or remote school and the option of having an in-person consultant travel to you to deliver a session with your staff is just cost prohibitive, not to mention a little bit risky at the moment with the possibility of lockdowns and border closures cancelling it all last minute. Well, I have a solution for you. I have put together an online training designed for your staff to do together on a pupil-free day or in a twilight session or even in an after-school staff meeting. In-person presentations are available in Queensland. However, the online training is available Australia-wide with a tiered pricing model so that small schools and state schools can access the training equitably. I can't wait to bring this training to your staff so together we can transform the well-being of Australia's teachers and school staff one school at a time. I'm taking bookings now for the 2021 January Student Free Days, so get in touch via hello at selfcareforteachers.com.au today. This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritise your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Well, today on the show, I am really, really pleased to bring you my husband, uh, my husband, Stuart, who is an exercise physiologist who has a wealth of information to share. And this is just one of the episodes that we have been talking about doing for three years because he was one of the first people I asked to be a guest on the show, and it's taken us this long to get around to it. And I think I would be excited about this even if I wasn't married to him because the topic of exercise and exercise physiology and the difference that it can make to well-being and in particular to fatigue is one that's very, very close to my heart. And I don't want to steal too much of the thunder, but so we're going to, Stuart will explain to you what an exercise physiologist is if you don't know what that is. Uh, and also, I think in the States, it's called something different. So this is obviously the Australian perspective, some Australian terms for various types of allied health professionals used today, but uh, look it up online. You should be able to find whatever the equivalent is wherever you are in the world. We talk about the real benefits of exercise, not just for physical health, but also for mental health. And really, uh, I guess the the guts of what I wanted Stuart to share today is about the fact that exercise doesn't have to be hardcore boot camp. And actually, he talks about why he's not a huge fan of boot camps, why they're not actually the best for a lot of people. So, if you have struggled with exercise, I get it. If you just feel like you don't have time, I get it. If you feel like you don't have energy for it, I get it. I have a background myself with chronic fatigue syndrome, so I really do have a complicated history with exercise and I feel very fortunate to have had a live-in exercise physiologist to encourage me along the way. So this will be part one of this conversation about exercise and 
well-being and fatigue and we will obviously be bringing you part two next week and stay tuned for the end because I will be just giving you a couple of updates after the first part of this episode. So, without further ado, here is my husband, Stuart Keane, exercise physiologist. Hello, Stuart. Welcome to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Hello, Ellen. Long time coming. (laughs) It has been a while. We've been planning this for ages. It's been on the list to do for ages. So, for the people listening who are not married to you, why don't you introduce yourself um, and tell everybody what you do? (laughs) Sure. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Stuart Keane. I'm uh, Ellen Ronald Keane's husband, and I am an exercise physiologist by trade. I don't necessarily work in that field directly anymore. Uh, I'm still in the rehabilitation sphere, um, but uh, maybe I can talk a little bit about what exercise physiology is and go from there. Would that be a good way to start? Yeah, that sounds good. So, um, actually, one thing I did want to just mention to people before we begin, obviously, you married to a teacher, also your mum was a teacher. So you're very familiar with education and the demands of teaching. Um, so you definitely, even though I know, you, you know, you're saying you're doing some more rehab work now than the EP stuff, but um, also I just, I guess I want listeners to know that you're very, uh, very much understand the demands of the profession. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, uh, being a teacher's son uh, and going to the same school, I got to see the extra hours that teachers put in that you know, the majority of the population probably don't see or, or know about, you know, hanging around school until 4.30, mm-hmm. 5 o'clock in the afternoon or, you know, watching my mum do marking and school holidays or over weekends or, you know, whatever it may have been. I, I've maybe some more insight into what's involved and, and some other people. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, tell us what an exercise physiologist is. An exercise physiologist? is probably maybe not a profession that's known about as well as maybe physiotherapy or podiatry or uh, chiropractors for that matter. Exercise physiology is the practice of prescribing exercise to, uh, to a variety of patients. So primarily it's prescribing exercise to people with uh, any type of chronic injury, chronic illness, um, anything in that sphere. So... The, the best way I can describe it is a lot of people will get us mixed up with physiotherapists. Um, physiotherapy is more dealing with the acute rehabilitation of someone. So let's say one of the you know, more common knee injuries, an ACL injury, the patient or the client injures that knee and for the, well, you know, depending on if that's surgery or whatever it may be, the initial four, six, eight weeks, whatever it may be, is with, with a physiotherapist. So something that exercise physiology can't do is manual therapy mm-hmm. and diagnosis. They're the two main differences. And physi- physiotherapy will be in the acute stage of the injury or condition. Exercise physiology is more the long-term rehabilitation. So mm-hmm. there's definitely crossovers. There's definitely um, you know, areas where we do the same things as what physiotherapy can do and vice versa. Um, but for the most part, when you're thinking about exercise physiology, it's more for the long-term, uh, lifelong movement and rehabilitation. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I like to explain to people is that it's not the same as a personal trainer 
who works with healthy populations. Correct. Yeah, and exercise physiologists definitely do work with healthy populations as well. Yeah. I mean, the the ultimate aim is to rehab someone to the point where they are categorised in inverted commas as healthy. Um, but you are correct. So a, a personal trainer, um, for someone that's done a, a cert three, cert four, um, in in personal training, they are only allowed to to work within their um, their own lane, I suppose, which is providing a, a, a exercise program for someone that is relatively healthy, so they don't have any long term chronic health um, injuries or, or illnesses. Mm. And also, exercise physiologists can do a bit of that lifestyle management stuff too, around like some nutrition and and that sort of thing as well. Hey, yeah, absolutely, and probably more so. Um, more. I've definitely noticed a trend in recent times where exercise physiologists are becoming more in the lines of uh, definitely looking at uh, sort of mental well-being as well and, and how exercise fits into that a lot. Um, but definitely nutrition is is um, is a part of it. So I'm definitely, you know, my, once again, within my lanes, I'm definitely allowed to provide someone with a, a nutrition, a general nutritional plan. Um, the difference between a nutritional plan and a dietitian's plan, you think of it like um, an exercise physiologist and a PT, that's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. Um, and maybe people that would argue against that, but a dietitian is someone that can prescribe diet to someone that may have chronic illnesses. Yeah, so it's like it's more, it's, it, it is actually... Um really targeted and tailored to the individual person's individual, maybe multiple chronic um, conditions um, or diseases as opposed to what you do, which is like general nutrition. Exactly right. Yep. yep. And I will always refer someone to, to a dietitian if I am seeing some big steps, I suppose, that they need to make. Um, for a, a perfect example of that would be someone with diabetes who mm. has uncontrolled blood sugar levels. Um, you can't simply do that through exercise. Um, there's lots, lots of different things that can go wrong there um, and they need to get their diet under control and I would definitely get someone um, more qualified than, than a nutritionist to, to look at them because they know how to deal with prescribing the right foods for that condition, if that makes sense. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, so obviously this is the Teacher Wellbeing podcast um, yeah. and we talk about wellbeing and I know that that's a, a real focus um, as well for you, what's your approach or philosophy when it comes to well-being? So when I was, uh, when I was working in a clinic, um, most of my clientele were in the 60, 65 plus age bracket. And quite often, uh, like you get someone new through the door and they'd, they'd often say something along the lines of, you know, am I too old for this or uh, some other cliche for the phrase. Um, and something that uh, I've sort of uh, played around with in the past is the term lifelong movement. Um, there is always something that you can do exercise-wise. Exercise, I think, I think it's a generational thing, but exercise often gets a bit of a um, like if, if you if you close your eyes and you say the word exercise to a you know, a fifty-plus-year-old. Um, Often what they'll, they'll think about is, is running or jumping or, or something that's really, really uh, exertional. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think educating particularly that, that age group, using the, using the words like lifelong movement 
um, and and a few more sort of specific terms is something that I've embraced, I suppose, for when I was working in that clinical sphere and not necessarily using the word exercise necessarily. Um, and it was with you know, relative success. Yeah, well, and I don't think that that, I mean, obviously that was where you worked was in, in that population, but I don't think that that is actually something specific only to older adults. I, I think actually a, a lot of people close their eyes if you say exercise and they think, oh, yeah, that must be a hardcore like a boot camp or, um, you know, big weightlifting in the gym or whatever and, you know, too hard. And the whole point of exercise physiology is that it is to keep you moving, um, whether that be absolutely maintaining maintaining mobility in older age or being able to, um, you know, recover from injury or find something else some other way yeah. to to. To move when you have got an injury or an illness that um, might prevent you from doing what you did before or prevent you from doing what the person next to you is doing. Yep. And I'll use um, sort of from my background um, a middle-aged teacher who I saw and probably, uh, you know, she, she admitted to me that she hadn't exercised in, you know, 20 plus years. Um, mm. And I'm not talking about incidental exercise, like using the steps every day, like actual deliberate taking a chunk out of your day exercise um Mm. and for her it was the case of actually getting her to do something for 15 minutes a day to start with yeah and it was just a light walking with a little bit of light resistance work with whatever um facilities that she had at the time and then from there once we got that base level then we could build her up everyone has a different base level so Mm. um another example you know I worked at the Wesley Hospital a little while while I was a student. Um, and for, for some of the more severe cases, particularly someone with heart failure um, who, you know, or a full transplant, heart transplant, their base level may be doing something for two minutes. Um, it, you know, it's some really, really micro stuff. But as long as you're progressing gently as well, um, that, that's the key. You know, finding their baseline and then gradually progressing whatever with whatever condition or, or injury they have. I think teachers listening will probably really resonate with that uh, and hopefully feel that that's encouraging because, I mean, that's the same approach we take with students in the classroom. We, we differentiate for where they're at and not every student comes to, you know, the first day of class with the same base level of literacy, numeracy, um, you know, whatever it is, like different students present with different needs and we have to cater to that. And we know that, you know, we can't expect the same thing from every student if they're starting from different backgrounds, if they've, if they've got different challenges that are interfering with their learning or um, just they're starting from a different place. And, um, and I think that it's really encouraging that that's the same, essentially the same philosophy that you have with with exercise and movement and it's movement as medicine it's it's to make you well it's to you know be a part of a treatment plan for chronic disease or injury as well as if you're healthy to stay healthy absolutely uh, there's a couple of points i'd probably like to talk about there and the first one you mentioned exercise as medicine um once again if you close your eyes and you think of exercise or, or movement often people will think of you know something like weight loss or you know, building up lots of muscle. But for someone, it, it might be the case of actually, you know, very, very specifically improving their lung capacity because of, you know, 
um, some awful lung disease or you know, even recovering from, from a flu in some examples, some of the bad flus. Or some kind of virus that causes a pandemic, yeah, yep. hypothetically. Or something that was probably a little bit closer to what I was doing. Someone who uh, has poor balance for whatever reason, um, mm. multiple reasons sometimes. Um, it's not necessarily a, a typical gym program. It can be something as simple as getting them to walk in a straight line with, you know, doing funny movements with their legs. Um, and it's something that's very targeted to what they need and, um, and what their goals are as well. Because not everyone um, has the time or, or, the, or the desire to, to become as fit and strong as they possibly can. It may be the case of they're actually scared of falling over and breaking their hip. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's really important to, to be customised um, and using that exercise as a medicine tagline, which is actually Exercise Physiology Australia has, has embraced, or Exercise and Sports Science Australia, I should say. They've actually embraced that tagline of Exercise as Medicine. Um, and there, I believe there's even a week that uh, Exercise as mm. Medicine week and there's a few different campaigns to GPs out there because uh, even GPs are sometimes unaware of, I suppose, who they can refer. Uh, I think, you know, that they're sort of looking at the extremes, but quite often there's some people that are in the middle who, you know, are at the beginning of a chronic illness or, you know, have a niggling injury for, for a long time that um, sort of get forgotten about a little bit, I suppose. Uh, and, and I suppose embracing that exercise as medicine, and we're getting there. It's taking a, taking a while, but that, that message mm. is, is definitely... Um, definitely getting spread out a little bit more, in particular in Queensland, because Exercise and Sports Science Australia is actually based in Queensland. So I think we have that added benefit of, you know, yeah. most things are run out of here, out of Queensland. So we <laughs> we have a few maybe trial programs or um, things that happen that maybe other states don't. And a little bit more of the communication around what's going on, because like the other thing that I wouldn't know if I wasn't married to an exercise physiologist was you know, the amount of research that, um, and even some quite rec- recent research, you know, that, that is now solidifying that, that fact that exercise is medicine. It, it yeah. is absolutely crucial for human health, but it also is a, is a part of the treatment of human ill health. Yeah, and not, not even the physical side of things, but even more, there's a lot of research getting poured into mental health now. So, Something that's probably closer to my work at the moment um, would be working with with clients with PTSD. Um, mm. So those who don't know, know um, I'm assuming most people are familiar with that term now, but post-traumatic stress syndrome um, or, or disorder. Um, there's a lot of evidence out there now that you know a, a structured exercise program can be very, very beneficial for, for people um, with with any type of mental health disorder, really. Um, particularly with anxiety and stress and I'm sure this we'll talk maybe a little bit more about that and uh and and teacher well-being as well but um having a structured exercise plan is integral for not only your physical health but your mental health as well um and maybe you want to talk about that a little bit more <laughs> later on but um or maybe another time possibly <laughs> yeah I was going to say that the the that might be a whole another episode <laughs> yeah um yeah oh and so I did, uh, I did have another point also you were sort mm. of talking about, you know, going from zero to 100 exercise-wise for, for a lot of people is, is not beneficial and something that I have come across a lot. Um, 
unfortunately, it's a little bit of a fad and uh, it's frustrating from, from an exercise physiology point of view. And that's the fad of boot camps or other things along those lines where someone that maybe hasn't done much exercise for, for 10 years gets roped into a boot camp um, you know, with one of their colleagues or one of their friends or you know, family members or whatever. And it's an absolute recipe for disaster for, for quite a few reasons. The first one is injury. Because um, mm-hmm. they're going from zero to 100. <laughs> yeah. And the boot camp, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory, that name. It, it is pretty hardcore. Um, and this often will, will, not, will not be good for anyone that hasn't exercised in a while. And it's not sustainable either. So mm. you, you can't expect to do a boot camp, you know, once in a blue moon and expect lifelong results um, or, or big changes in your health. Um, and that, that's, that's something that I keep seeing day in, day out. Um, and gyms keep advertising it. It's obviously a, a, a big moneymaker for them. Um, but I think there's better ways to go about it. I think because it's short term, you know, it's it's a it promises a quick short term result, which uh, we talk about a lot on the Teacher Wellbeing podcast about that, you know, resisting that lure of the quick fix because there isn't mm. a quick fix. Um, most most things when it comes to wellbeing are, are, are long term sustainable changes and consistency over time, and then that, like you said, that gradual growth or gradual increase, um, as opposed to zero to a hundred and then back to zero again because you're exhausted or injured and nothing again for you know. Years. <laughs> yeah, and you know, sometimes it just scares people away from exercise for another ten years because mm-hmm. because it is so intense and uh, it's too hard. It's too hard, and I'm not saying that it's not the case for everyone. Uh, there's definitely going to be going to be people out there that enjoy that challenge and enjoy the intensity of it. I'm probably mm-hmm. one of those people. <laughs> but, yeah, but thankfully I've been fairly active um, most of my life, and I, I am used to intense exercise. So. Um, uh, I suppose my, my takeaway point would be if you are someone that fits into that category of, geez, I haven't been for a run for you know, six months, a year, two years, three years, don't, uh, don't fall into those boot camp sort of marketing tagline type programs because they are meant to be intense, short, sweet programs. And they, they do, let me put it this way, when uh, I'm sure there's uh, particularly physiotherapists and you know orthopedic surgeons sort of rub their hands together whenever they see those signs <laughs> around gym um, because they they know there will be injuries. Yeah, yeah. So it's something to keep in mind. Um, but as you said, if 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 people feel like that is a good fit for them and they are um, enjoy them and they can then also consistently keep up exercise after the fact. You know there is a place for them, but like anything, it's it's not one size one size fits all. Absolutely. Um. So, what I really wanted to, fo- I suppose, focus on today is um, fatigue, because you know we we talk about teacher burnout. And we hear a lot about teacher burnout, and you know one of the main symptoms of burnout is fatigue, um, and emotional and physical fatigue. And I know that one of the things as an exercise physiologist that you have experience with is exercise as a treatment for chronic fatigue um, and you know because fatigue is even if people aren't completely burnt out fatigue is consistently one of the top struggles that teachers tell me that they have with their well-being and, sure. and I know that fatigue is also a really 
big topic um, and we only have a few minutes here today and we're only going to be focusing on, I suppose, the the exercise-related um, area of it. We're not going to talk about sleep and all the other things that can also impact fatigue. Um, but what can you tell us about the relationship between fatigue and exercise? Yeah, I'll, I suppose I'll give a bit more background on that. So, um, uh, uh, sort of one of the aspects of exercise physiology that I didn't mention earlier is working with athletes. Um, mm. Now, that there's once again, there's many different uh, sort of people in the allied health sphere. So, not just exercise physiologists, you get you know elite strength and um, conditioning coaches and physiotherapists for that matter um, that are involved in that. But something that exercise physiology has sort of um, brought to the forefront is looking at overtraining and fatigue. So mm. overtraining in athletes is um, probably a lot more common than, than people people see, but there's definitely been some high-profile um, cases in, in Australia in particular. Mm. Um, a sport that's close to my heart is cricket. Now, often when people think of cricket, they don't necessarily think of intense exercise, but at the elite level, it, it absolutely is. And in the, in the modern game, there's also no no off season anymore. Um, mm. You are you know you are playing and training most of the year now. So when when people were looking at overtraining in athletes, so they're trying to find out a way to sort of measure the actual fatigue. Um, it, it's often you know often when you when you're asking somebody about fatigue, it's very subjective. So. Mm. You know, you, you're asking the athlete or the person or whoever it may be, how, how tired are you? And they go, oh, you know, I'm pretty tired. It, it, it's very hard to get specific measurements around fatigue. So um, I couldn't even tell you who or where this came from, but someone started looking at uh, heart rate variability. So heart rate variability is the, the time in between each heartbeat, okay? So... Uh, people may not know this, but your heart, yes, your heart rate will increase and decrease. But your heart rate, the, the time in between each beat is quite fluctuating. Okay. And that, that's actually healthy. That's, that's what we want to see in a healthy individual. What they were finding is that, so I think the, the initial study was done, or sorry, the, the initial measuring tool was done for triathletes. People that aren't familiar with triathlons, it is probably, in my opinion, it's probably one of the hardest um, endurance events out there. It's swimming, cycling, and running great distances. So not only were they were they doing the actual event, but they were training for the event at the same time. Um, and what they were finding is that there were lots and lots of athletes who were becoming overtrained in very comments or um, over overtraining syndrome. So which is which is kind of like Another way of saying burnout. Really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what they started to do was, was they, were, they were measuring the athlete's heart rate variability and noticing those that were reporting, you know, extra fatigue symptoms. So what we're, we're not talking about here after the race, we're talking about fatigue where they just cannot get out of bed basically by... Yeah, like they sort of wake up in the morning and they're exhausted. Exactly, yeah. So it's not just, not just exercise-related fatigue, it, it's... Mm, ongoing excess fatigue. Um, mm. They were noticing that the heart rate variability in these people was actually uh, very stable. and I.e. there weren't much changes between the beats. It was pretty metronomic. Yep, 
Exactly right. So what this actually meant, what they were finding is that these athletes were more in the parasympathetic nervous nervous system stage. Mm. Okay. So the, what what a normal person should be, uh, particularly when they're at stress. Okay, I'm using stress here as a as a very general term. Mm. When the body is at stress, whether physically or mentally, we're meant to be using the sympathetic nervous system a lot more. Yeah. Okay. The parasympathetic nervous system is something that happens when we're resting and digesting. Yeah. Um, so these athletes were still in the parasympathetic stage when they were meant to be in the sympathetic nervous stage. Okay. Mm. And of course, research happens, and one thing leads after another. And now it's found that the heart rate variability can be used as a measuring tool for those with any type of chronic illness. Um, mm. So I first came across this when I was working um, with you know, sort of life insurance clientele. Um, and as I say, follow the money. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so wherever... Um, you know, wherever, particularly insurers, are uh, throwing money at, you know that there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of evidence sort of pointing in that direction. So, um, I started coming across people with chronic fatigue syndrome. So that mm. I was getting referred from from these large insurers, and these were sort of the, the, the two main ones that I came across. So the first one was post-viral fatigue syndrome. So someone yeah, that had very familiar with that, yeah, <laughs> someone that had a uh, a pretty nasty virus, um, and that could that could be anything, and something, of course, that's very topical at the moment is coronavirus, uh, and the long haulers, yeah, the long haul coronavirus uh, sufferers, they are definitely in the umbrella category of chronic fatigue suffering, um, and the other side was uh, people with chronic fatigue syndrome that had. Uh, it's not my favourite term, but mental breakdown. Um, mm. So most most of these people were fairly high end, uh, you know, CEOs, um, you know, owners of quite large companies that like really high achieving, really exactly. working really hard. Yeah. Um, and even in our little city of Toowoomba, <laughs> there was definitely mm. there was definitely quite a few of of these type of referrals. Um, and something that insurance companies were more than happy to to pay for was a HRV monitor. Mm. So what we started heart doing heart rate variance monitor, heart rate variance monitor, um, and using that as a objective tool. Um, so we were getting some objective data to mm. to make sure that um, a we were showing the insurer, look, this is how the person is progressing. This mm. is how they are. Um, not necessarily progressing all the time, but this is the stage that they're at. Yeah. And the other thing was to actually show the client uh, their HIV on a day-to-day basis to mm. base their actual activities of daily living. So, so they can monitor themselves. Monitor themselves. And particularly if you're trying to reintroduce them back into work, uh, it, mm. was, it was a way of making sure that they don't push themselves too much. Um, yeah. So it was a very, very useful tool. However, it wasn't always uh, the case for someone because there's lots of different elements of fatigue um, or, or burnout. So it was just it was one measurement of fatigue that um, 
I found very, very, very useful. Um, and yes, there were other ways that you know, we, we sort of looked at. So journaling was another way of doing that. Mm. Um, but it was, it was probably the most effective way for me to give objective data not only to the client but to the insurer as well. Mm-hmm. And as you said, the insurer wants some some objective measurements because, you know, like you said, follow the money. But but also we know that when when there's data, when we can measure something, we can manage it. Um, so it's useful to have that those kind of objective measurements. Yeah. So that's that's been my um, event with uh, with fatigue in particular. Um, and I did come across a couple of teachers in that in that time. Um, mm. And that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, absolutely. So, as I said, you know, it was it was across a large sphere of of professionals. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the first part of this interview with Stuart, and I hope you've got lots of takeaways about exercise or movement as medicine as not only a way to stay healthy, but also as a treatment for health conditions, which, yeah, you know, like Stuart mentions, even GPs are not necessarily aware of how many health conditions exercise can actually be a treatment for these days. So lots of research coming out. It's really, really beneficial. Also, yeah, I hope that the takeaway you have got from this is that, you know, how to start gently when you do not have to go hard and fast and, you know, injure yourself or just be super sore for like two weeks while you start your new exercise program. Like just start gently, give yourself that gift. Don't make that mistake of going too hard and too fast and then giving up or, you know, injuring yourself. And of course, you know, the conversation about fatigue uh, will continue next week because it is such a juicy one. Like I said at the beginning, you know, I did have post-viral chronic fatigue back in my university years. And even then, uh, in 2008, which was before Stuart and I were together, and it was, I mean, we were both at university, so it was also before he was actually qualified as an exercise physiologist. But even back then, I was referred to see an exercise physiologist as a treatment for the post-viral chronic fatigue that I was experiencing. So this is a topic really close to my heart. Since then, pretty much, I have struggled personally a lot with exercise and with, with finding ways to do it sustainably and consistently over the years. I've had some difficult experiences with PTs who did not understand that. I've also had some fantastic PTs over the years uh, as well who were very supportive and did understand and did tailor things for me, With sometimes with Stuart's guidance as well. Anyway, that's by the by. The point is that I want you to know that I understand. If you struggle with exercise, I really very, very much understand. And also, if you struggle with fatigue, I completely and utterly get it. Um, it's really hard. I've been there. And so I just want to encourage you to go really gently, but do something. Go for a walk, you know, a gentle walk around the block. And you might be walking while listening to this, which would also be great. And also, obviously, tune in next week for part two of this conversation to hear more about fatigue and exercise and the relationship between them, which, like I said, fatigue is one of the top challenges that teachers tell me they have with their well-being. So, you know, I really think this is very, very important for you to hear and to understand And then I also want to let you know uh, that I am releasing the Fatigue Resilience Masterclass series that Stuart and I presented to the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program earlier this year. So it was a part of that program. And yeah, so there's four two-hour masterclasses that Stuart and I created and put together and presented earlier this year. One is on this topic of exercise and HRV, and uh, that's heart rate variance, and Stuart goes into more depth. One of them is on nutrition and 
fatigue, one is on stress and fatigue, and one is on sleep. So, of course, you know, fatigue is a highly complex and multifactorial problem. And also, I definitely want to say that you should go to your doctor and get a health checkup if you are experiencing persistent fatigue, because it can be a signal of, you know, medical conditions too. So, you just want to get that checked. Um, And also, if does turn out that you have some chronic medical conditions, make sure you mention to your GP that potentially an exercise physiologist referral could be a treatment. And it is covered under Medicare for a, a lot of cases. So you definitely want to look into that because you can get Medicare covered sessions or rebates and that sort of thing. But yeah, so go and get it checked out if you are having lots of fatigue. But if you also do want to do If you want more information and you want to take your understanding and management of fatigue further and if you want to build your fatigue resilience, then I highly recommend this Fatigue Resilience Masterclass series. And the best bit is that it is going to be on Super Special from now until the 11th of December. So I guess you could call it a Black Friday deal, but that isn't really what it's about. It's just a special for anyone who snaps it up in the first two weeks of it being released to the public. So head to the link below. It will be in the description of this episode and check that out. It will also be at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash fatigue resilience. And there will be some other cool things being announced in the next few days as well. So if you're not already getting my emails, if you're not already subscribed to the Advocate newsletter, then I highly recommend that and follow me on Instagram at selfcareforteachers to be the first to know. I did just mention the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program, which was wonderful this year and we'll be doing that again next year. So just make sure you sign up to get my updates, follow me on Instagram and yeah, go and check out that Fatigue Resilience Masterclass series because... I personally learned a lot from it as well, and I know that the teachers in the in the Resilient Teacher Coaching Program got a lot out of it, and I think you will too. So go and jump on that special until the 11th of December before um, the price goes up. And come back next week to hear part two of this great conversation with Stuart. And as always, remember that you are a person first and a teacher second, and you are so worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.